Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello. I hope everybody's doing great today. The holidays are done now and we're moving on to the new year. And after we have been with people that we love during the month of December, even November for that matter, and we have seen that they are having some type of issue of memory loss or cognitive impairment, it's really tough on children especially if they don't know what is going on with their parent or their grandparent. And it's important that you understand what is going on and what is wrong with the person that you love and why they are acting the way he or she does. Because when you understand why they're doing certain things. It's easier not to get mad at them or to be frustrated with them. And it's easier for you to try to help other people manage their emotions as well. And if you can understand that the person is acting the way they are because they are sick and not because they want to be hateful to you or any of those issues are surrounding you and that the person has a disease that's destroying their brain, we can help the people around us to understand that this is not something that is aimed at them. This is not something that is anything that they have caused or they have done. And not only that, but it helps you deal better with the person who's having the issues because they will feel less judged and less persecuted. But kids don't understand why grandma doesn't remember their name. They don't understand why the person is acting clumsy. They don't understand why they can't talk properly. And if we understand the parts of the brain that are malfunctioning, the lobes of the brain that are malfunctioning, we can help everyone around us understand what part of the brain has been damaged and why people are acting the way they are acting. You know, sometimes... The person with the diagnosis gets upset over little things, itty-bitty things. And it's because the brain can no longer understand what's going on. Or even when you explain it to the person, the parts of the brain that makes us behave as as we should, the parts of the brain that tell us, you know, what where our social graces are and things like that, they're also damaged. So that person cannot control their actions. They cannot control their emotions. They get their feelings hurt, so they might lash out at you. 
And kids just don't understand this. And especially if the person doesn't look sick. So a person with Alzheimer's generally in the early to mid stages looks like themselves. They don't look any different. They don't look, they, they act strange. And they might criticize you or correct you too much. Um, they may not be able to carry on a conversation with you or even change the way that they're talking with you appropriately, depending on what you're saying. Like if you're saying something funny and they're not catching it, they, they may not laugh. If you're saying something sad and they don't catch it, they may laugh. But if they don't look sick, then it's just hurtful. Oh, they're just not listening to what I'm saying. They're just not, they're not caring about what I'm saying. This is, this is what we would call apathy. And if you as a kid, especially for children, we need to ask, are they worried about that person? What are they seeing? Allow them to ask questions. Go grab a chart of the lobes of the brain and go over it and help children understand how the brain functions. And when it's not functioning, what will they see? And you might have to help them by forming the questions and then giving the answers. Like, for example, does it bother you that grandma asks the same question over and over? Or why, you know, do you wonder why she keeps asking what time is it? We, we have to be incredibly patient, not only with the person that has a diagnosis, but with the children. Because they just don't get it. But... Kids are so resilient. And I think sometimes talking to children is easier than talking to adults because kids are innately more compassionate. Um, they're in a learning mode. They are in a, they're in an academic learning mode when they're in school. And the chances of them just taking this on as another subject they are learning is probably pretty high. And it can really help them to try to comprehend the situation at hand and what their role might be in this situation as things progress. And I am a, I'm a big fan of, of kids asking their parents or the doctor treating the person questions. What do they want to know? And if you do that, you'll get to the best people and the best results. And bringing up the subject when there's not, of other, not a lot of other things going on and when the adults are not too tired, um, sometimes adults try to keep, you know, bad news from young people. But if you are worried and you are concerned, 
ask your parents to talk with you about this. If they've received any documentation from a doctor, ask if you can see it. And when, if you're a parent, you need to explain to the person that is asking, the child that is asking, that that person is not going to get better. And they can feel bad about that. They can be sad about that. But I don't think that there are things that kids really shouldn't know. I think you should sit down and talk to them and let them have their mixed feelings of sadness, of love, of, of anger that the person that they love is sick. Um, and and try, to, try to really feel what they feel. Have some empathy. Have some compassion. And explain to them how you feel about it. Are you sad? Are you worried and concerned about how the disease is going to progress? Maybe you could all learn together. Maybe you could get some books on my website. I offer... Uh, some resources of different books that you can read, that you can learn and, and, and get more information from, and, and go through these books together and talk about how you feel. Um, you might feel sorry for the person with dementia, but you might also be angry that that person is living in your house, that that the the situation is that there's no place else for them to go. You don't have any money for them to go anyplace else. And now they have to move into your home. Or it's your spouse and you're having to explain it to your kids who still live at home. That happens a lot, right? And and you you can talk about how maybe that makes you moody. Maybe you know, it maybe your moods change a lot. Maybe you have moments when you're up and moments when you're down. And and there are times when you just can't deal with it or you don't want to think about it. And I would say that all of these emotions are very, very normal. And even under the best circumstances, living with an illness like this is hard. And I've had kids tell me their thoughts when I would go into elementary schools and junior highs and high schools with the local Goodwill um, for for teaching moments or for um, career days. And, and they would say, you know, some funny things to me, like, there's no privacy. Grandma walks right into my room whenever she wants. Um, Mom and Dad tell me I have to be quiet. I, I, I can't play my music. And as soon as I come into the door, I have to be quiet or 
you know, my my grandparent gets really excited and agitated. Um, I can't stand watching them eat. They spit food out and they grab food with their fingers. Kids don't understand these things. That one in particular I will address by saying that's where you can explain to a child that the person has limited capacity with their motor skills and that they have damage to their brain where they are unable to use a utensil like a fork or a spoon. And that's where you as a family have to decide to maybe have finger food, sandwiches, um, th chicken, things that they can just pick up and eat with their hands instead of something like spaghetti, which would require a fork. They may not be able to handle that. Give them soup in a cup instead of making them use a spoon. And you could ask the kids in the house to help you with those kinds of things. Some of the other things that they've talked about are, are things like, um, I can't bring my friends over because they upset my grandparent. Also, I don't want to bring them over because sometimes my, my parent or my grandparent acts a little crazy. They, they say things that don't make any sense. It's embarrassing. Um, I don't like having to give up my room. I don't like that everybody depends on me more. I, I'm taking on more responsibility and I don't like it. I'm a kid. I don't want to do that. And with that, you have to explain to kids that you're sorry that you're putting that extra work on them. You as an adult have a lot of extra pressure on you now caring for your parent and trying to care for the kids in the house. And sometimes if we put a child in, in charge of the person with dementia, that isn't a good idea because they're not equipped with tools to understand why someone would say something with no filter that could be hurtful or why they would repeat themselves constantly. And if kids don't have those tools, they often function from a place of emotion and emotions can run high when they are agitated by things like that. You know, and sometimes when they're acting like that, it makes kids afraid. They're afraid of what the person will do. They're afraid to be the person that has to care for them because what if they die? Will everybody blame the child? You know, they they often feel discouraged. They they don't know what to do. They don't know how to act. Their their whole life has been turned upside down and they're trying to figure out a person with memory loss. And a lot of times we as parents get such a short fuse when we are trying to help somebody with memory loss and cognitive impairment that we lose our temper and we get mad at our kids more often than we would and they think they've done something wrong. So these are why we need to have some open conversations. We need to talk about why they need to be quiet or why they need to give up their room. 
It's easier to deal with things when you understand what's wrong with the person. And it's super helpful to pick out one thing that bothers you the most and ask your family to help you change whatever that is to, you know, work together to come up with some kind of compromise that will make everybody feel a little bit better. You might be able to put a lock on your door or get headphones for your for your stereo. Um, if you've given up your room, perhaps you can fix up another part of the house, the basement area, and make it your own little, you know, cave or whatever so you can get away from that person sometimes. There's, there's always ways to work through this if you try. And a lot of young people say that it's not the behavior of the person that is the worst problem that they're dealing with, but how their parents or the husband or wife of the person with the dementia acts. And quite frankly, I understand that. I, I deal with that on a regular basis. I often think that the person with the diagnosis is so much easier to work with than their family members are. I mean, seriously. Mostly because they blame everything on the disease instead of their own actions. And, you know, they see adults behaving badly, yelling at the person, losing their temper with the person, fighting with them, arguing with them. And all that does is make it worse. And you're not setting a great example for the kids. And the, the, if, if you have like both people in the house or even, even the parent that doesn't have the diagnosis, if they don't have the dementia, they're probably upset about the one who does. Kids tell me that all the time. They get really upset even when the person that has a dementia doesn't get upset, um, you know, they may be feeling sad or unhappy, and that makes the person who's caring for them to be cross or impatient or just frustrated because they don't know how to make that person feel better. And it's easier sometimes to react than act. The easiest thing is to be understanding because you know that person is going to be sad. If you had dementia, wouldn't you be sad? And we, we can have grief and we can worry, you know, but are we looking at what is the cause of why they are sad? Is it too dark in the house? Is there, is there too little stimulation? Are all their friends gone? Nobody coming around anymore? They don't, the person doesn't want you to handle them. They don't want to be taken care of and treated like a baby. And when things get difficult and you go to look for an adult, you know, they might be tired or upset or, or something like that. If you can't talk about what you're seeing in the home as a child with a parent or with a grandparent, ask a teacher. Go to your school nurse. Go to your school social worker. 
go on the Alzheimer's Association's website and look for a support group for kids. It, it would really behoove you to try to do some things for yourself and ask people to help you. You know, part of the problem is, I think, with a lack of information for children, is that most of what's been written has been kind of written for adult children, grown children, who who their parent now is older in years and and they are taking them to the doctor and, and trying to figure out what the dementing illness is with that person. And we don't really have a lot for young children. And if it's your father or mother who has a dementia, that can be so incredibly hard. I mean, absolutely incredibly hard. There are books on it. Um, Mom, Are You Still In There is a, is a good one. One of the other things that's hard is kids don't know how to go to mom and say, I've noticed this going on with dad. Um, I see when you try to rush him with things, he seems like he's having a harder time. It's difficult to challenge a parent on the way they are caring for their spouse. I don't care what age you are. If you're 10, you're 20, you're 40, it is difficult to have that conversation with your parent because they don't want to hear your thoughts on things like that. They think oftentimes you haven't lived enough to know um, enough about the situation to give them any guidance. But you're living in that house too. You are living in that house too. And you need to have those conversations, those real conversations about what is happening and the problems you are having in addition to you know, what might be working well um, for your for you or for the person that is having the problem and things that you have noticed that maybe can make a difference in their care. And if you or your parent who is well is unable or unwilling to seek help, you may have to ask a doctor or a teacher to help you to understand. No one with a parent who has dementia should have to cope by themselves. No one should have to do that. I, uh, I hope you all don't mind. I know I've got a little bit of a rasp in my voice today. We've had some fires in Colorado and I breathed in some smoke that was close to my house and um, have had a little bit of an asthma problem. 
<laughs> so don't worry about me. I just uh, wanted to tell you why my voice might sound a little funny. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back to continue this, situ- this conversation and situation about children trying to live with and manage having a parent or a grandparent living with them with some type of dementia. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, I'm back. And I'm talking about when you have a person who is a parent or a grandparent, maybe even an aunt or an uncle, who live in a home, a private home, with family and children are present. How should we deal with that? How do we help kids? Usually kids are pretty damn resilient on their own. They really are. And and I think kids are sometimes more capable of being able to understand what's going on and be helpful around the house if they are given the responsibility of being more helpful. And you explain to them why you're asking what you're asking of them. And I talked about things that kids have told me before about, you know, the person walking in their room or the parent yelling at them because they're stressed out and things like that. And... Um, if you, if you can break this down for kids, get them involved with someone who can answer questions for them. If you can't do it, then let somebody else do it. And a way to determine whether or not you can do it is maybe sit down with the children and everybody sort of write out what their questions are. What are they concerned about? Are they concerned about the way the person smells or they wear the same clothes every day or they, they say things that don't make sense? You talk to them and they ask you a question back that, that isn't making any, any sense to you. They're asking for a person who's passed away like a grandparent. Maybe maybe a grandma or grandpa has now moved in because a another the other grandparent the other spouse 
has passed away and there's no place else for them to go. And now they're living with you. And they're saying, they're looking for that person. Where are they? Why aren't they around? And how do we, how do we talk to kids about this? And we tell children not to lie. So what techniques could we use if they're looking for somebody that isn't there, somebody that's passed away? You know, I have always gone by the, by the notion and the technique that you should say, well, I haven't seen that person recently. And ask the kids to use a more, uh, more comprehensive thought process of, of asking questions about what did you love about grandma or grandpa? Or can you tell me about when you started dating or when you got married? And, you know, what did you guys do when you were little kids? What was your favorite toy to play with? And, and use a tell me more theory that is is customized more for a child asking questions of that person um, because it would seem normal to say what kind of toys did you like to play with when did you learn to ride a bike and teach them some redirection skills that maybe can help them to talk with the person and converse with them a little bit and also learn more about their history because once that person gets dementia and they start progressing, the chances of them losing the ability to have conversations about their their um, day in and day out life are going to disappear. So it's a great tool to use to teach children how to walk down memory lane and ask questions about that person's history. And if they can, Write it down. Write down what you say because I think there's not very many adults that I've ever met that have ever said that they remember everything that somebody has told them about their younger years and how often we wish we would have gotten more information from grandma or grandpa or our parents about their history before it was too late. So you can do things like that. Have them write down their questions. And if you can't answer them, maybe you could email them to the doctor and say, this is coming from my son who is seven years old or my daughter who is 12. And they want to know how to work with these situations. If they can get into like a, a Boy Scout or a Brownie troop or something like that, that could help enormously because they will often take on something like Alzheimer's or uh, various dementia like Parkinson's or something as a merit badge um, option. And they could learn more about it as a group so that they could talk about it. Or maybe they could get involved with a youth church group um, where they can ask questions you know, oftentimes, um, if you're on an athletic team or something like that, you could ask your coach if you could maybe someday after practice is done, sit and ask if anybody else has another family member or somebody that they're living with that maybe has Alzheimer's or something like that. You'd be amazed where those support groups can kind of pop up and give you the opportunity to talk about what you need to talk about and maybe solve some problems the rest of the family may not have even thought about, right? 
And you probably have a lot of understanding for the person who's confused. And you, you're suddenly having to do a ton of growing up during the time that they're sick. And if you can learn more about it, I promise you, you are someday going to look back with pride and say, I was able to help my person with dementia be happier during that time. I was able to help my mom with making dinner a couple of nights a week. I offered to take some of the tasks off of her plate or his plate, your dad, and do some laundry. I made sure my bed was made every day. I tried to do things that wouldn't agitate my parents while they were trying to care for my grandfather. These are things that you can be proud of and things that you can do if you really want to. And if you are trying to deal with these bad situations, the more control you can gather over the situation, the better you're going to make your life. Because I'm telling you, you will see things like your grades drop at school or getting into fights. Um, you might hear somebody make a very insensitive joke about Alzheimer's and just, you know, lose your emotional control and, and get into some kind of a scuffle. You might fight with your parents. You might tune out of your family situations, not not wanting to talk about the problem or, or your parents don't want to talk about the problem, but you need to talk about the problem with somebody. And if you can talk things over with your parents, I think other adult friends or teachers can be helpful. If you can talk to any of them, I think that you will find that you're going to have somebody that's easy to talk to and sometimes people are not easy to talk to, but a counselor, a teacher, any of those, they can bridge the gap with your parents. They can let your parents know how you're struggling because if you can't talk to your parents, your teachers can usually help you find a counselor or they can talk with you or they can say another kid in the class may have this going on. And, it, and if you guys want to sit down and come in someday after school or on your lunch hour, we can learn a little bit more about this disease and try to help you. Sometimes people feel funny talking to a counselor. It's not always easy, you know. But I'm going to tell you that when you ask for help, that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. To me, that means that you are taking control of your situation and that you are doing the best you can to try to find some good results and to learn some techniques. And these are always good things to do. And if you have a good counselor or someone who's a good listener, 
You can learn more about what's going on. You can read some books and educate yourself. You can email or talk to your parents' doctor and get some questions answered. You can let off some steam. You can, you can let all the anger and everything get out at that point in time when you're talking to them, and then you can go home and be more effective as a helper for your parents or your grandparent. And you can talk to your parents with the counselor. That would be great because that would help to keep you from fighting with them, but we'll have, have somebody mediate the issues that you're having about having to move out of that room or whatever it is, right? And learn more about what your parents or your grandparent are thinking. How are they feeling about the situation? Are they feeling like this is not fair? Are they feeling overwhelmed? Are they angry that their parent has a dementing illness and um, realize that someday they may not know who they are? What grief and anxiety are they going through? And learn about the grieving stages. What are the grieving stages? Because it starts the minute you have a diagnosis. It truly does. So everybody in the family should, even the person with the diagnosis, should be talking about the grieving process and trying to figure out some history on that person so you know what kind of things to use to get you to a better place when that person is struggling with something. When you have a counselor that's helping you, you can say everything you want about your side of the story. You can talk about whatever you want, and they can help mediate, and that will be huge, okay? And ask about the things that worry you, like whether the person will die. What's it going to be like when they get worse? What kind of things can I do to try to help? Here's the thing. Nothing is going to make the person better, right? Nothing's going to make the person better. And some of the things you do aren't going to necessarily solve the problem. But they're going to make living with the dementia better if everybody tries harder to be more compassionate and more helpful and more thoughtful in the things that you are doing around the house you're a kid, but you don't have to throw temper tantrums all the time. Uh, you don't have to be difficult just to be difficult. Do your best to be helpful and help with household chores and help with anything that you can. Be the information resource person for your family. Learn about the brain and teach your parents. Um, these are things that kids can do things that kids probably should do, and show them that you are a young person, you are a, you are a kid, you are a young teen, you are a teenager, but you have substance, you have character, you have knowledge, and you can be helpful in this situation. 
And if you're doing anything to agitate it, stop. Just stop. Just be a good kid. Try to be helpful. Try to do the things that you can do to help with the situation as much as you can. If you have any questions on any of this, I want you to call me at 303-420-6988 or email me at jill at summitresiliencetraining.com and ask me your questions. I am happy to help all you young people out there to learn about memory loss and cognitive impairment and be the best you can be as a family member for the person who is struggling. I will see you all next week on Dementia Resilience with Joel Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Joel Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.